Well, let's have a word about Syria. Here we are now. It's, well, by the time you see this, it'll be the 13th of December. And the year is moving on at a pace, isn't it? And Syria still goes on as it has. And what's the latest? Well, there are to be presidential elections in June 2021 in Syria. It could be taking place in May, actually. But I think the latest word on the street is that it's going to be 9th or 11th of June. Anyhow, presidential elections delayed possibly by about a month, the end of President Bashar al-Assad's seven-year term are taking place. Well, I mean, they want to get these out the way and try and delay things with regard to the Syrian constitution. You know, the stuff being hosted by the United Nations. They had parliamentary elections and now the presidential election. Handy to get them done and dusted whilst the committee supposed to be organizing the new constitution for Syria goes on squabbling in Geneva. It's a bit of a joke, actually, the the Geneva Committee. I mean, the whole business is a bit of a joke, isn't it? So looking back, on July the 19th, 2019, we had parliamentary election, and they were a major win for the Ba'ath Party, inevitably. I mean, that is Bashar al-Assad's Ba'ath Party. You know that the Syrian Ba'ath Party split, (laughs) split in two, and the the way it went was that uh, those that opposed Hafiz al-Assad fled, at least their leaders fled to Iraq, and they're called the Iraqi Ba'ath Party. I mean, they're Syrian, but they're called the Iraqi Ba'ath Party, uh, or Iraqi Ba'ath, or Syrian Iraqi Ba'ath, whatever you like to call them, because they fled to Iraq, and that's possibly the largest opposition group in Syria, the Iraqi Ba'ath, obviously, the disgruntled Ba'ath Party members. Uh, the Ba'ath Party being a secular, essentially a secular pan-Arab political movement. So it's still prominent in Iraq and Syria. In Iraq, of course, it's outlawed, but uh, it doesn't stop it being prominent. It was a major political force during the years of, um, of Saddam Hussein. So Syrian president's term expires uh, this summer, 27th, 2021, and theoretically elections for the presidency should take place between April 16th and May 16th. 16th, but like I say, delayed for a few days. They've got to be. They, they've got to be at least 90 days before President Assad's seven-year term expires. Now, meanwhile, of course, there is this Syrian constitutional delegation meeting in Geneva. This is the fourth round of talks that just been taking place this week. 45 Syrians met in Geneva. These 45, they don't really represent anybody. They belong to a minority, I guess, of Syrian opposition and plus the Syrian government. And one of my friends, a long-standing member of the Next Century Foundation, uh, Mohammed al-Qabra, he describes them as enjoying comfortable living conditions that enable them to have food and drink and warmth on winter nights. So time means nothing to them, says Mohammed al-Qabra. I mean, he's an opposition guy. And he said they're wasting their time he tells me, playing around with topics that are totally irrelevant. I mean, the Russian position, meanwhile, and the Russians are major figures in promoting this constitutional dialogue, is that the Security Council Resolution 2254 should be implemented. What a load of waffle that is. I mean, it does at least say that the territorial integrity of Syria is relevant, but it's a load of drivel. I mean, a meaningless The worst example of meaningless UN resolutions 
Uh, he starts out with a phrase, bearing in mind the goal of bringing together the broadest possible spectrum of the opposition chosen by Syrians, who will decide their negotiation representatives. The broadest possible spectrum of the opposition? I'm sorry, that's a lot of bull for a start. I mean, the, it's very, very selective. The UN is very careful about who it permits to be there. They have to be politically correct in the eyes of the UN. You can forget um, the Iraqi Ba'ath, the largest opposition group, by a mile and a half. They're not going to be there. You can forget the, uh, the more militants amongst the Kurds, who are the predominant Kurdish factions. They're not going to be there. I mean, uh, you can forget, you can certainly forget Rifat al-Assad's bunch, um, or I mean, I know uh, Rifat is discredited in the eyes of most now, but but his sons uh, still have a role. You can forget them. You can forget all of the major opposition forces in Syria, all of them, actually. And then you get a selected few uh, who are uh, permitted to attend because they're politically correct in the eyes of the West and therefore in the eyes of the United Nations. So it's a kind of bowdlerized system anyway. Yeah, but it is what it is, of course. And even then, it could be effective. It could be effective. Couldn't it? But for the fact that Damascus is, is, tries to shuffle the cards, stall, keep the status quo unchanged. I mean, they're, they're playing a clever little game uh, because, because they don't want this Constitution Committee to go anywhere. And they are so helped by the, the rest of the 45 people that are there. I mean, what? The Syrian opposition groups, such as they are, spend their time accusing the Syrian government of using barrel bombs and Iranian militias and Lebanese Hezbollah and fine. And they rant on and they rant on. Fine. 90% of the time is being wasted engaging in topics and discussions and accusations that have nothing to do with negotiating a new constitution for Syria. So, <laughs> the, the Syrian government just smiles and, and rubs its hands with glee because the, the complete waste of space opposition representatives at the, the, uh, I mean, they, they can, they, they can, the longer this goes on, the better for them, isn't it? They can eat caviar in Geneva. Oh, let's have another session. Let's have a fifth round now. It's, it's such a joke. It's such a joke. The Syrians, the poor Syrian people are freezing to death in Syria. And these fat slobs in Geneva are, are just just wasting time instead of getting on with it. However, there you go. The UN process for you. Meanwhile, Damascus is looking at finishing off Idlib before the presidential election next summer. I mean, they want the problem in the north dealt with. They've got very small pockets of resistance, and they want it dealt with. I mean, obviously, they've covered the entire country now. The only place they don't completely control is where the Kurds, Kurdish forces are in the east. But even there, the judges and the government employees, they're all appointed by Damascus, paid for by Damascus, and they're okay. I mean, the Kurds are trying 
desperately to be close to Damascus because they're so fearful of Turkey, the big bully on the block, and they've been abandoned by the United States of America, of course. So where are we at? I mean, Idlib, the, Idlib, the situation is worsening. Bombardment, shelling. I mean, um, just the other day, 22 civilians killed, uh, 59 injured, six children killed, shelling and airstrikes in Idlib. And, and meanwhile, actually on the ground, I mean, even the humanitarian workers are being attacked by the Islamists with IEDs and car bombs, IEDs, improvised explosive devices. It's miserable in Idlib. Overcrowded camps, housing one million IDPs, um, COVID going wild, um, more than uh, 7,000 7, in the Idlib area just the other day, poor medical equipment, inadequate access to PPE. Uh, there are only two isolation hospitals in, in Idlib catering for countless people. Only uh, 142 intensive care beds, uh, only 155 breathing machines in Idlib. It's difficult. And doctors are dying of COVID. Uh, health workers, you know. It really is a miserable situation. A miserable situation. Not good at all. However, nothing is happening at the minute. Everything's on pause, waiting waiting, marking time, uh, waiting for the January the 20th when Donald Trump leaves office. It's interesting, of course, the Israelis, meanwhile, are active. Uh, they, they're having, they're busy with little airstrikes. They struck the region south of the capital of Damascus. I mean, second attack in a week. Killed a dozen people. Syrian air defenses were activated in response to the incoming missiles, but it was apparently this, this latest attack was a response, according to the IDF, the Israeli defense forces. This was a response to the placement of explosive charges next to the border fence in the Golan Heights. Well, who would have done that? Could have been anybody, actually. Somebody grumpy did that, obviously, and uh, could have been the Golanis. They get they always want to sneak through, don't they? Anyway, it was an excuse for Israel to, to bash. I mean, I say the Golanis. They, you know, you have that shouting valley uh, because the, the people of the Golan Heights are split since the Israel's occupation of the Golan Heights. You can go there, you can watch them, and they shout across at each other. Yeah, they shouted at one another because they can't actually meet. But yes, the citizens of the Golan Heights, uh, the Arab citizens and the Druze citizens and so on of the Golan Heights, so they have to shout out at each other across that valley, across the fence. Sweet and sad. But, uh, yeah, it's a feature of the Israeli occupation. Occasionally they want to marry across or whatever and they they try and go through legally. But, um, yeah, I'm not surprised somebody put explosive charges next to the fence. I mean, for God's sake, they're poor people. Anyway, so Israel responded by bombing someone to smithereens and killing another dozen people and, and wiping out Naam's depot and why not? This kind of thing goes on. The Israeli raids in Syria have ratcheted up this past year, just taking advantage of Donald Trump's time as presidency because they will need to escalate attacks before Biden with his more pro- pragmatic approach takes office, is what Israel thinks. I think. So, okay. I mean, the only fear is that uh, something happens and escalates against Iran. I mean, if, if somebody does something, this is the Syrian fear I'm talking about. They're, they're frightened that uh, somebody might do something stupid against Iran, who's somebody, Israel, I suppose, or America, before the 20th of January. I don't think so. I think it's most unlikely. But 
they're a little bit frightened about it. I mean, I don't think they think anybody could be that stupid. Uh, there, there are obviously people talk about it, but the U.S. military is certainly not that stupid. So we won't see any attack against Iran. If there were such a thing, then of course the ramifications for Syria would be significant because uh, Syria would be in the firing line uh, with the whole thing kicking off with Hezbollah because there would be rockets against northern Israel from Hezbollah and so forth. But it's not going to happen. So nobody need panic about that. Nonetheless, these are concerning times. I mean, an awful lot of Syrians are food insecure as the winter is coming. The winter will be harsh for the displaced and the vulnerable. I mean, UN statistics talk about nine and a half million Syrians or thereabouts being food insecure. Where do they get these figures from? But it's probably true. I mean, how can they say 9.3 million Syrians are considered food insecure? So we let's Let's call it 10 10.3 or 11.3 million. You know, if you pick these figures out of the air. I don't know how people pretend these figures are realistic. They, a vast proportion of the Syrian population are food insecure. Um, a vast proportion of the refugees. There was a shameful act by the UN 45th session highlighting gross human rights violations by all the actors controlling Syrian territory. Yeah. Why is that shameful? Because the report was rejected. The UN Human Rights Council report was rejected by the Syrian government because of double standards. Uh, yes, it was uh, on 6th of October of this year. It was uh, Resolution 4521 was adopted by the Human Rights Council condemning the government of Syria for s- severe human rights violations. The trouble with these resolutions is the Syrian government is quite right. They employ utter double standards. And that's not to say that the Syrian government is not responsible for severe human rights violations. It is. But where is one word in this report condemning Turkey? I mean, the whole report is a sham, a gross sham. Uh, It condemns the Syrian opposition, it condemns the Syrian government, and ignores the actions of Turkey. Because he can't really, can it? Because Turkey is a UN member state, doesn't like to, doesn't matter condemning a so-called pariah UN member state in the form of Syria. But I can't do it to Turkey. No, we can't do it to little Turkey. So Turkey, who is the blue meanie on the block, gets ignored and therefore discredits. The whole report is discredited discredited. But so many UN reports are a complete waste of paper they're written on, aren't they? I've seen that again and again. Sad, sad double standards. And meanwhile, the ordinary people of, uh, the ordinary civilians of Syria become a tool in the, in, in the whole war. Um, UN resolution earlier this month closed one of the two international borders for aid, aid supplies from Turkey, reducing, dangerously reducing the number of aid trucks into Syria. Turkey actually begged the United Nations to keep both borders open. But Russia and China vetoed the move. China does what Russia does, doesn't it? China is still, China is often talked about having a mind of its own. It's brainless. Brain dead is China. It can't do anything but just vote the same way as Russia. But but the point is that many of the families in the region rely on these monthly food baskets that are going to be reduced and the reduced access could lead to famine and winter is coming. It's blooming cold. And look at poor Idlib, where you have all those, uh, I mean, the, the, the leftover rebels from Homs and Ghouta and, uh, yeah, and from Aleppo, from places that fell to the Syrian government over the past few years are all up there. And finally, you have the other Syrian issue. And you know what it is, isn't it? It's the out of the frying pan into the fire thing for ISIS refugees. I mean, Kurdish fighters seized 
most of northern and eastern Syria from an Islamic State, and they've got thousands of prisoners in prison camps. I mean, tens of thousands. Northeastern Syria, up the border with Iraq, you've got Al-Hol camp. It's 64,000 people, they say there, almost entirely women and children. 94% is to take this one camp alone. 94% of them are women and children who've lost their husbands, who are Daesh fighters. Conditions in the camp are inhuman. Humane. There are 34,000. That's over half of them. 34,000 are children under the age of 12. Most of the rest are women. Children being brought up to hate you. To hate you. The security situation is dire. Nobody wants to repatriate these people. You remember the famous case of Shamima Begin. Um, left Britain at the age of 15 to go and take a Daesh and ISIS husband, had her citizenship removed by Secretary of State Sajid Javid. What a disgrace. And the same powers have been used to strip other Daesh sympathizers of their citizenship. Trouble with this is that it makes them stateless warriors of hate, doesn't it? must take responsibility for our own sinners, bring them home, put them on trial, shove Jemima Begin in prison where she belongs. But no, don't leave her and others like her. 64,000 of them in one camp alone. Uh, this, uh, this, this weapon of removing citizenship. Governments across the world look and say, well, they do this kind of thing to their own citizens, and they say, well, Britain does it. It's a major abuse of human rights to make somebody stateless. It's illegal in international law, not that Sajid Javid gives a damn, really. But this is, we got to man up and do something about these Daesh prisoners, these women and children. I mean, the men, of course, are being killed. The Kurds have killed most of the men in fighting. I guess they fought to the death by and large. In Iraq, a lot of them were captured and they're being executed. I suppose that's the same thing going on in uh, in northern Syria. We just don't hear about it. Uh, the Kurds are good news, by the way. I mean, the Kurds are the one bright spot on the horizon. Kurds are relieved that Biden won the 2020 U.S. elections. Biden is sympathetic towards Kurds. He denounced uh, back in 1991... He denounced President George Bush for uh, allowing Saddam's forces to recapture liberated Kurdish areas. Uh, so he's always been sympathetic. In 2002, he, Biden addressed the Kurdish parliament in Iraq, always reiterating Kurd- U.S. support for Kurds. And more recently, he's criticized Trump for betraying the Kurds and allowing the Turkey to attack the Syrian Democratic Forces in northeast Syria. And, and Trump really did betray the Kurds. So Biden is hugely sympathetic. It li- he likes the concept of a federal system of governance in Iraq and, um, and presumably would like the same sort of thing in Syria. But to be fair, he's not the Messiah. His priorities are U.S. interests. So there we have it. I mean, it's, it's not a happy picture, is it, Syria today? President Bashar al-Assad will be re-elected. The constitutional negotiations are dead in the water. Biden's coming. He'll be nice to the Kurds. Winter's coming. They'll starve die in Idlib. Syrian government will retake Idlib before the early June 2021 presidential elections for Syria. Oh dear. And meanwhile, Israel just do a bit more bombing. Ah dear. Poor old Syria. 
is the beginning of the end for this Syrian misery? I hope so. It's gone on for such a long time. And cry the beloved country. It is such a beautiful place, Syria, where the olive tree came from. You know that? There are more varieties of olive in Syria than any other place on earth. One of the problems with exporting Syrian olives, there are too many varieties, so you don't get a uniform produce. Palestine just has comparatively few varieties. Um, olives, everything's pa Palestine. The olives came from Palestine, really. They came from the hills of Syria, originally. And Syria is a magnificent, multifaceted place full of wonderful people and agonizing pain and suffering. And it's time for it all to come to an end. Let's hope and pray for that. don't know how enlightening this discussion has been. It's, uh, I hope it's helpful. It focuses my own thought to talk about these matters. Anyway, God bless Syria. Thank you.